Hello everyone and welcome to ESG Explored, the podcast that talks to people about how they are managing the environmental, social and governance factors, how they are identifying the risk and embracing the opportunities. In this episode, my co-host Sarah Dullahunty and I will be joined by Barton Green, CEO of the Committee for Brisbane. Welcome Barton. Good day, <laughs> so, Barton, the Committee for Brisbane, uh, I know it's an independent and not-for-profit organisation, it's been going for quite a while, around 60 years. Um, advocating for Brisbane. Can you give us just a little bit more of an overview of what of what you do and what it's there for? Yes, we've been going back to 65 years this year. It was founded in 1957. And uh, I just had a look at the population of Brisbane today yeah. in 1957. 550,000 people. Oh, so we've grown a little. Yeah, about two and a half million today. So <laughs> really different world then. But it was founded by a former Lord Mayor of Brisbane, Sir yeah. Reginald Groom, who... Um, wanted to set up a progress association, you know, a ratepayers type lobby group because uh, there was nothing at the time. So the Committee for Brisbane was formed and it's uh, it's grown with the city over many years and we are independent of government. Uh, we're funded solely by members which allows us some, some freedom to talk about big issues and for us, uh, our members work, live and play in this city and region and they like to contribute to conversations about what the future will be for them and their kids. And uh, it's a really rich opportunity to engage with people who want to think deeply about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I was particularly interested in about how communities work together. And I, th- I think this is one of the reasons that I was quite in- really looking forward to talking to you about, because you've got members and they've, they've got to work as a community. Because what I often hear is, one organisation is going to struggle to do this on its own there because they're part of the supply chain and there's got to be a kind of community compensation. So how are your members looking at managing ESG? Are they starting to talk about it? Are they, have they got together? What's, what's been the plan or what's been the thinking around that? Well, my observation has been, I mean, we, we probably called this corporate social responsibility mm. originally yes. and it's morphed into ESG over the past few years. Um, some of that comes from leadership at the top where uh, responsible boards who are well connected to their communities have talked about this as a critical need at a board level. In other areas, I see that the pressure is building from the ground up, so shareholders, uh, particularly younger shareholders who you know look at people my age and go, what the hell have you been doing for the last 30 mm-hmm. years? And are looking for significant improvements in how we manage the environment, um, how we engage with First Nations people, um, how inclusivity in all its forms is part of business as usual. When I grew up here and in other parts of Australia, we didn't have those conversations. And now it's a daily conversation. It's a really healthy one. So I see that it's coming not just from the top, but also from the bottom up. Uh, but without doubt, it's uh, an issue or an opportunity uh, that is being embraced by everybody. What I'm finding is for some... Uh, Identifying the channels to deliver mm-hmm. on the desire uh, can be interesting, and that's where the Committee for Brisbane, and there are others, but the Committee for Brisbane, because of some of the areas it works in, provides those channels to enable staffs, particularly of our member organisations, to participate in activities relevant to ESG. Yeah. Can you give us an example on that, some? So some of the channels that you might be working on, is that around communication? Is it collective action? Is it? Well, um, look, our role is primarily to provide a platform for discussion and debate. So we're not, we don't build things. Yeah. Um, the Olympics and Paralympics is a good example. So uh, last year, uh, the committee decided that while the city and the state and the country were putting their candidature together for the Games, 
that we would socialise the opportunities that would come from legacy with the business community to try to minimise any negative commentary and maximise positive commentary. And that resulted in a really big project that we mm. published a suite of papers last year called Brisbane 2033, the, yeah. the year after the Games, yeah. uh, what could the legacies be? And we had about 35 of our members working, member companies working on the first iteration, which was the big ideas, and, and John Coates, who was president of the AAC, launched that for us. And then we moved to phase two, which was the really interesting phase, which was, okay, we published the big ideas, and those were ideas on our four key areas of activity. So connectivity, road and rail and transport and mobility, as well as data and digital. Creativity, we do art and culture, First Nations, um, nighttime economy, tourism. Um, enterprise, so the jobs and industries of the future, and equity, so inclusivity, safety, homelessness, those are the sorts of things that we do our projects on. So we had big ideas for the legacy for our region yeah. uh, under the Brisbane 2033 project. A simple one was under equity, our overarching objective for legacy for our region was that all people of South East Queensland have the same opportunities in life. Mm. That's the big objective. And we wrote a number of goals under that. We had 120 people put up their hand to work on the second phase of that project, which was how do you turn the ideas into a structured framework, timeline and steps. So that allowed people mm. to participate in big conversations about climate change and carbon emissions. A lot of work was done in that space. A lot of work was done on the area of homelessness and First Nations inclusivity. Yeah. So these, these were channels yeah. that people had a desire to participate in. We were able to provide that opportunity. And the end result for us was... Mm about 1,500 hours of free consultation time, about $300,000 worth that you'd pay for in the normal yeah. world, contributed for nothing that allowed us to publish another suite of documents as ideas to government to look to pursue. That doesn't happen very often. No, that's amazing. And um, there is a, a really good concept called, uh, it's one plus one equals three, which is that when you bring in those people, the outcomes is better than the two. Like the one plus one, you know, you get this greater outcome with this collective thinking and collective action. So I, I really like that, and that's a really good example of how that's working. And, and the um, people met people they hadn't yeah. or wouldn't normally meet, and yeah. so there was a personal benefit in that as well, and there were some business benefits in that as well. So it really was a win-win all round. And uh, those doc we still use those documents every day. I'm doing uh, two projects now that were ideas generated out of that particular project and we're driving forward on that ourselves. I'm talking to government about other aspects of it. So when you've got that level of uh, interaction and commitment that's been captured in one place by people who think a lot about work and play mm -hmm. and life, um, we'll be working with that documentation for quite a while yet. That's yeah, no, I think it's interesting because <coughs> Remember we were talking to Ben Lawrence about regional areas and how regional communities can manage. What's interesting about this particular conversation is I've just been coming from TropAg and where I see Brisbane as being a, the, one of the leaders in terms of, because this is where a lot of the, the business are sitting. So they are going to be the leaders as of most capital cities in Australia, um, sort of setting some of the agenda around that marketplace. So in terms of a supply chain issue, a lot of that thinking is going to come through the capital cities, Australian capital cities, and, and how the, you know, the regional communities are going to be responding to some of those things. So what are you seeing in terms of um, you know, the supply chain needs that 
within the Brisbane community where they're saying, look, these are the things that we need and what are they asking for in terms of, you know, like banks and so forth are saying, well, if you if we want to invest in that area, these are the areas. Well, the classic and recent example is Queensland Investment Corporation partnering with the Brisbane Housing Company to build social and affordable mm-hmm. housing. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's really a first. Yeah. So superannuation funds, this is a classic example in my view of shareholder mm-hmm. pressure or yeah. desire, uh, are responding to the desires of the people whose money they care for uh, and investing in products that were not traditionally the shopping centres or yep. the commercial buildings yep. or agricultural land. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this, it's an experiment, I guess, where there's a, uh, a suite of social and affordable housing being built um, with a view that there can still be a, a guaranteed long-term steady return. It might be a bit different to others, mm-hmm. but it's the social return on investment that is now becoming a critical part of some of these conversations, which fits beautifully into the ESG space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to the Olympics and Paralympics because they're a good case study then with respect to supply chain, John. Um, the contract that the city has, if it's a regional games, but it's called the Brisbane 2032 Games, uh, the contract that we have with the International Olympic Committee requires a number of significant commitments. Mm-hmm. Two are in the space we're talking about that we have a climate positive games mm-hmm. and that we have a circular economy games. Okay. Now, we don't actually know what that looks like yet. So we're talking to government about publishing the guidebook on that as soon as possible because um, if you are a provider of beef, Mm-hmm. and you wish to be a supplier to the Games. And can I tell you, there were about 14 million meals served for the Games in Rio, 6 million <laughs> tonnes of food. Like It's not small bickies here. <laughs> um, but you can't decide the day before that you want to be a supplier. Yeah. Uh, and if the whole supply chain has to meet these significant commitments on climate positive and circular economy, um, there's a lot of change that will need to come for a lot of people. If you're the person who wants to supply cut flowers for the awards ceremonies, your entire supply chain, as far as we know at the moment, has to meet the criteria. So, you know, from the people who supply the seed and fertilisers to where it's grown, to the people who are cutting and transporting, and then to the end product of any waste and disposal, that's the supply chain. If all of those people need to meet that standard, that's a big ask. Now, for me, that's one of the great legacies of the Games. That is a permanent change to our supply chain. We move our suppliers from where they are today to globally competitive. That is a great legacy, but there's a lot of work to be done. Are we up for the challenge? I think we are. But, (laughs) you know, for some of our sectors, these changes could be years, particularly if you've got uh, machinery or technology that perhaps requires change, you don't just flip a switch and change your product line the next day. So um, yes, I think we are up for the challenge. Um, it's scary now, we're into single digits, so it's about nine and a half years, right, for the yeah. Games. Hasn't that gone fast? <laughs> I was only talking about 11 years yesterday, um, but it's gone really fast. And uh, you know, we're imploring government to get the, the guidebook published on this stuff as soon yep. as possible. Because mm-hmm. one of the other commitments that we have is a significant local buy component for the Games, mm-hmm. which is great. But if, we, if our supply chains do not have the competency to meet the standard, then the commitment to local buy is yeah. really shallow. Yeah. It's also the understanding of what they need to change. Like you said, if, if they are um, a years away from having to change something or the ability to change something, they need to be able to know now what needs to be in place in those five years' time or four years' time to be able to give that measure and to get across the supply chain for in nine years' time 
when yeah. they are yeah. a supplier, and then the ten years after that, the legacy Absolutely. after that. So it is a big change for business, but yeah. it's a it's an aspirational change, which I think most businesses are up for. Which is, which is well, this is going to set Brisbane as the leader in this area because of the requirement to meet that. You know, I mean, it, the the pressure is not on a lot of other cities to do that. But mm. if if it is on, I mean, one of the legacies that are coming out of that is we will have. Uh, a very different supply chain. Yes, from, from we we will be the first host city to contractually be required to deliver to that mm-hmm. standard. Mm-hmm. Um, LA is volunteering, so Paris is volunteering to be climate neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, LA um, is looking to be uh, meeting the standards as well, but they're doing that voluntarily. We mm-hmm. are contractually committed to do that. Okay. Uh, so it's a pretty tough, but good standard. I think so, and it. it ties in nicely with the World Economic Forum looking at biodiverse cities, um, spelt with a C, um, around how does that how does that urban population start uh, looking at how the impacts on or the global impacts on the economy as well. So I think that's a really good tie-in point for Brisbane and the southeast and also Queensland. If you think of that, if you think of the supply chain for these games, it is going to be Queensland and, and beyond. So I think that's a really good opportunity. Yeah. What are some of the other things that the members are, are really, I mean, is it is the thing has been energy, is it climate, is it, what are some of the things that you're hearing from your members that they're really potentially interested in and working on at the moment? Well, timely question, because I just got the survey, annual survey results in this morning <laughs> from our members and they nominated their top 10, um, which we do every year. Uh, Olympics and Paralympics legacies was number one again. Yeah. That wasn't mm-hmm. a surprise by a long way, yeah. and that's a really broad area. We've just discussed that. Yeah. Um, but for me, when we're talking about ESG, uh, First Nations inclusivity and enterprise, uh, climate change response and resilience strategies, we're definitely there. There's big pieces in there about talent attraction and retention. This is a yeah. challenge for business everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that really links back to the, our topic today, because when I talk particularly to the professional services firms, um, they are looking for stories, the narrative that they can tell to their prospective employees yeah. and their current employees as to why Brisbane. Yeah. Um, and also then why my company in Brisbane. So being able to promote ourselves to the world, I mean, we look outside here, you know, today, it's a beautiful blue sky day. Half the people who come here for the Olympic Paralympic Games don't see blue sky every day. Yeah. You know, we, we, these are the things that we can value and promote. Um, so for us, the things that we're talking about are, are moving higher and higher up the order chain mm-hmm. uh, for businesses to think about, big and small. Most of my businesses are medium to large. Uh, sorry, most of my members are medium to large businesses. We don't really do small business, but you know our friends of the um, Chamber of Commerce and Industry mm-hmm. Queensland will tell you this is a topic of conversation everywhere. Yeah. It's good. It's a good topic. Yeah, I certainly heard that topic of conversation at TropAg across, you know, the international community that came together to talk about agriculture and, and, and some of those sort of things. Certainly sustainability was very high on the agenda. So I think this is probably the right time to match the demand from both, you know, capital investment and, you know, sort of things like supply chains. And, uh, and I guess probably one of the key things I'm interested in from you is that uh, being in Brisbane uh, is the social aspect of that. I've noticed that you've done a lot more in that area, looking at uh, housing and you're looking at that sort of thing. Um, I'd really like to explore that just a little bit more as to 
where that came from or was that a vision that you had yourself? Or yeah, look, that that's a good question. I've been in this job just nearly three years mm-hmm. um, and like a lot of membership-based organisations, it was a very small secretariat. I'm the first full-time employee in 63 years when I came on board. Mm-hmm. That's not unusual for membership-based organisations. I get the lofty title of CEO, <laughs> um, so people will pick the phone up and I'm ringing them, so that's always good. Um, but it, it had tilted as an organisation to a bit of a built environment focused uh, organisation and we have lots of architects and town planners and urban designers in our membership and, yeah. and that had tilted that way. Um, and it used to be called the Brisbane Development Association, that's what it was founded in 1957. So in our 60th birthday year, 2018, 2017, um, the decision was taken to change the name because development had very different connotations yeah. back in 1957. Um, to Committee for Brisbane. That allows us to be part of an Australian-New Zealand network of committees for cities and regions. There's about 20 of them. We're all independent of each other, but all the capital cities in Australia have one, for example. Um, But there was a decision taken then to look at the vision and mission and purpose of the organisation. So the vision for the Committee for Brisbane is for Greater Brisbane to be the world's most livable place. Uh, I'm a Brisbane-born boy. My family settled here in 1855. I've got deep roots here. I haven't always lived here, but I love it. So that's a really easy vision for me to get out of bed to every day. Um, I've talked about our themes of connectivity, creativity, equity and enterprise. Uh, So we try to identify ways to deliver on those themes with the vision as the driving point uh, to engage with people. And what I have found is that the desire to participate more in the social, environmental and governance to a degree, not necessarily our, our area, but the environmental and social aspects of what we do is enormous. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned we're doing a significant project on homelessness at the moment, not traditionally an area that the committee would have done. Many of its members participate in that space, but it's resonating really strongly with our members that we're actually having a look at this. I've been working yep. on this now for nearly two years and mm-hmm. we recently had the housing summit, but before that really bubbled to the surface, we were working on that. We're doing uh, a significant piece of work with uh, First Nations people of the region. We founded a First Nations advisory group uh, a year or so ago to advise us on the things that we can do to help work with that community or those communities. That's really exciting and I've got a lot of people yeah. keen to participate in that. Um, climate change, it, that's a bit more of a challenge, I think, yeah. for us because in a in an urban environment, there there are certain things you can do and can't do, and my yeah. membership are not necessarily participants on a day to day basis in that. But we are all facing the challenge of resilience from natural disasters and, and severe events. So it is a topic of conversation. How yeah. we dial ourselves into that a bit is is interesting, and we're exploring that. And in energy, you asked, you know, there are no. There are no generators in our region that yeah. the region that I look after, but so hydrogen and electrification are the two spaces yeah. that, that we're looking at. And yeah. we just published a, a 2050 vision for transport and mobility a couple yeah. of weeks ago, and we talked a lot about uh, the electrification and the use of hydrogen as alternate fuels in that space, zero emission vehicles, etc., and uh, better improvement in public transport networks. So that's how we are representing those sorts of desires and themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great, um, but especially around, like, they're big concepts, aren't they? But they've got really big outcomes. So even, for example, the, the transportation, you know, you talk about then inclusivity and, and equity. You know, to have uh, the ability to move around accessible to more people, um, is it, it ticks those social boxes as well, doesn't it? Well, we, we're hoping to do a second piece of work next year, which will talk about 
active transport, public transport mm. and inclusivity and accessibility as the themes. It's a really big thing for me personally. The Sporting Wheelies and Disabled Association, uh, Braille House, the Queensland Disability mm. Network, mm. they're all members of the yeah. committee and they've come on board in the last couple of years because of the work we've been doing around the Paralympics and Olympics legacies. Mm. So it's been a really interesting experience. I spent a day in a wheelchair a few weeks ago as a fundraiser for the Sporting Wheelies. Bloody hell. My mind wasn't changed, so, but yeah, uh, my experience it. really just opened my eyes a lot. Yeah. So we're looking to do a project in the new year to really talk a bit more about what we could do there. When we launched the Brisbane 2033 mm. stuff last year, I issued three cheeky bold challenges to the audience. Um, and I talk about this a fair bit that um, in 2032, let's have ended homelessness in Southeast Queensland. It's a completely tangible problem. Mm. We know where, when, how and how much it can be done. Let's have no First Nations protests at the opening ceremony because we've actually got the relationship right. And let every person with a disability in our community have a full-time job at the Paralympics that allows them to have a skill set that they can yeah. enter permanent workforce. So that's three big challenges uh, that we've issued out there. And so a lot of what we're doing is driving towards don't tell me how, why we can't do it, tell me how we can do it. And if we miss the mark by a couple of years, who cares? Let's be moving in these directions. And back to John's earlier question, these sorts of things I'm, I'm seeing are resonating in business because they all know what they do every yeah, day. Yeah, they're, they're now they're looking for how they can contribute yeah. more broadly to where they live. I think that's, that's, that's what makes a livable city, isn't it? To have, right. to, you, you Everyone know, included. Everyone's included. And I think from, you know, from... If we've got the opportunity to put this on the international stage, and I think this would be absolutely fantastic to be able to do that. I think also the recent announcement of Destination Q having access tourism next year is really good as well. Yes. It'll put that spotlight on people about um, you know looking at their business. Is it accessible to all, and what do they need to change? And I think that's a good challenge for people to have in the coming years. We have a long way to go. Do you know, Brad House told me this. There is no standard here for where braille signs are erected in public places. I so did not know that. That could be mm. fixed tomorrow. Mm. Right. Yeah. That, some of these things can be fixed tomorrow. Um, just on that, sorry, but um, the other hat that I know you wear and have worn for a while is around um, corporate communication and, and strategy. How important is that then, That having that hat on in the, maybe it's, the cap that's turned backwards for you in this role, but you <laughs> certainly have, yeah, you have that eye to how we communicate these things and uh, to leading with that advocacy piece. So if you take that example of Braille House, just needing a standard, like what do we do? How do we get behind that? And how do you how do you sort of galvanise that into action? Yeah, well, watch this space. That's why I want to do this project next year. Yeah. So um, some of these things could be fixed uh, with the you know, a click of a finger, really, mm -hmm. quite simply. In fact, I talked to the relevant minister about this at a function last week, and um, he was very interested in working out how we get this fixed yeah. right away. And then there are bigger challenges. You know, uh, the day in the wheelchair experience, and I'm not trying to pretend that I've had this, you know, great no, awakening think, and this revelation yeah, challenge. Yeah. You know, our footpaths are not that great. Um, and um, footpaths are very busy places, underground particularly, and I'm not, there's no blame here to any level of government, but mm -hmm. they're hard places because they're often being dug up because work has to be done on them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I didn't make it more than about 40 metres on a footpath because A, there's a camber that sort of like a black hole sucks you towards the gutter. Um, God, and I thought, oh, I'm a fairly big and strong bloke, it hurt. But, you know, there are subsidences, yeah. there are bumps, and... and um, 
I'm wondering whether we can map a pathway through the city that are key pathways that connect really key parts of the city. I'm talking the CBD here, where mm. wheelchairs can have a significantly easier path, where people with a visual disability can have a significantly easier path. I'm just talking off the top of my head here, but it's mm. it's an idea I'm wanting to try to explore with others and and have an experience then when we have a half a million people coming here in 2032 for a few weeks mm -hmm. that is the best in the world. Yeah. Um, I, I really like to explore that further, uh, understanding all these things take money, but you know, Paris's theme is to be the most inclusive games in 2024, and that's about people with disabilities, but also mm -hmm. about community participation. Mm -hmm. um, we've got an opportunity, I think, with the runway and the desire of the community to make ours a really inclusive games, and yeah. I think that would be a, a wonderful thing for people to walk away from their visit and go, when someone <laughs> says, then what was the experience like? One of the things they said was, wow, it was really easy for everybody to get around. And Brisbane's not competitive for yeah. Sydney, is it? No. <laughs> but that also then sure. should become standard business yes, practice. It, yes, it shouldn't yes. just be because we've got the Olympics going. That should yeah. be what drives us to make the changes. We've got a point in time. But it should then become part of our legacy that any building, any future development has those things considered. Yes, and look, the standards are better, but retrofitting older buildings is hard. Yeah. I've got a mate of mine in a wheelchair, um, and uh, for him to go to the loo, he's got to get the lift down to the car park, cross the car park, go up and around and go to yeah. the toilet. Yeah, you've got to plan those things in so, advance. Yeah, you? well, yeah, I, found, I found that what used to be a two-minute visit was a ten-minute one yeah. when I was in a wheelchair because I had to go to a different floor to go to the toilet. So these are just things yeah. that can be fixed. Uh, they don't get fixed tomorrow, but um, yeah. if there's a will and desire to do it, they can be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with any last thoughts, Barton, we're sort of getting closer to time. Any last burning things that you haven't got off your chest today that you desperately <laughs> want to do? <laughs> Look, well, for me, um, what gets me out of bed every day is the ability to work with people who would like to contribute to where they live, work and play, as I said. And I get to learn every day from great people. Um, if you haven't found your channel to do that, look around. There's plenty yeah. of places you can go to do that. There's organisations like... Yeah. Queensland Trust for Nature. Yes. Um, you know, I ran Keep Australia Beautiful for nearly 10 years, which mm. was a community-based organisation running the Tidy Towns program and the Clean Beach Challenge. That provided people with an avenue to physically get out and do something for their environment. So there are plenty of places for people to do that. Um, I'm particularly passionate, as you might have heard, about working with and improving First Nations enterprise. Mm. That's We're looking at the business side of, of First Nations activity uh, and, and the inclusivity piece for people with cognitive and visual and mobility yeah. challenges, uh, we can do a lot better there, I think. And this is not government doing better, this is the whole community. It's a community-owned yeah. issue. And the final one is homelessness. I'm really one of, with a lot of other really good people, I'm by no means an expert, I'm just a really interested bystander. Yeah. Um, but um, my superpower is herding cats, so I've, I've got <laughs> the ability to bring lots of people together. Um, yeah. And communications, you asked that question before, that's what I do. Um, communications is critical for mm -hmm. me. So um, there are plenty of channels for people if they've got the energy to contribute, have a look around for them. I think it's been great. Um, I think particularly for Melbourne, because we've covered a lot of other things around corporate, but this has been a really good dive into looking at social inclusion. And yeah. uh, and I think, you know, good on you, Brisbane. You know, this is going to, this is going to be, this is going to wow the nation. You know, Watch this space. Watch this space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Barton, thanks so much for your time today and for everyone. Watch this space because uh, we'll continue discussing advocacy and the, the power of collective action, I think, is going to be 
what we'll see coming out of the Committee for Brisbane in, in the coming years. So if anyone wants to know more about the Committee for Brisbane, please jump online and have a look uh, at the work you're doing and I encourage you to attend an upcoming event that you have because you have a few of those on at the moment. So if anyone listening, uh, please go along to that. But thank you, Barton. It's been great to have this chat My today. My pleasure. Fabulous. Thank okay. you for the thank opportunity. Queensland Trust for Nature and ESG Explored acknowledge the traditional owners on the country throughout Australia, their diverse and continuing connections to the land, sea and community. We acknowledge they were the first conservationists and scientists and have cared for this land for their future generations. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening today.